Welcome to the Naked Life Podcast, where stripping is a way of life. I'm your host, Lo Wentworth. Shall we get started? Because I know you're ready. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Naked Life Podcast. I'm so excited to have Wendy on. She is the divorce rehab recovery coach and... I'm just really excited to have her on and just have her input in. So thank you for coming on, Wendy. Thanks for having me. I'm so honored to be here. So tell people a little bit about your story and how you became a divorce recovery coach. Sure. So definitely was not planned. Um, We can start by saying that. So, um, you know, I will never forget the day, oh gosh, almost six years ago now, where my now ex-husband and I were driving home from a couple's night out. It was very late at night and his cell phone rang not once, but five times from a female colleague. And it was in that moment that I got reacquainted with my intuition because my gut punched me harder than I have ever felt being punched before. And I knew something didn't feel right. And after, you know, about 24 hours of me wrestling with what to do and arguments, I decided that I get to trust my intuition and I kicked him out. Uh, Little did I know that my intuition was right because the next day I discovered the truth and that was that he had been having an affair with a female colleague for over three years. And it was really in that moment that I, I woke up. Um, I realized that I had really just allowed this person to become my mirror and I lost my identity. I lost my voice. I didn't know who I was. And the ironic part is that, you know, here I was in a 20 year corporate America career, you know, in the height of it working at, you know, heading up a region in ad sales for a very well-known female lifestyle brand knowing who I was at work, but here I was at home just knowing I didn't even know who Wendy was when I looked in the mirror. And it was that wake-up call that I needed to really start putting myself first, which was something I never did because I felt like if I did that, it was selfish. And as a working mom, I already had no time for my kids. And any more time that I thought that I would take away from them, I would shy away from. But what I slowly started to realize was that I was very focused on the rearview mirror and I was acting in a way as though, you know, my past was my present and my future. And it wasn't until I saw a Facebook post, right? Once you get woken up by the universe with that intuition, you can't stop listening. So I saw a Facebook post from a friend who uh, became a life coach and something in me said, this is what you need. And Lo and behold, I hired a coach and also signed up to get accredited as one. And I realized the power of it because therapy the entire eight months before hadn't moved me as quickly as a two-day weekend training to be a coach. And I knew that there was something here and it was my destiny to not only file for divorce and to really start living life on my own terms, uh, but it was also time to leave corporate and to start divorce rehab. And that's how it happened. So my entire foundation of my business is founded on the premise that divorce can be the most empowering experience that we go through to 
claim, reclaim our voice and identity so that we get to design a life that we choose instead of feeling stuck with the one our ex left us with. So ultimately, my mission on this planet in this lifetime is really around changing the stigma around divorce from shame to empowerment because my divorce was a gift. It was a, the gift of me. I got myself back. And while, you know, we were the last couple that anyone thought we was going to get divorced, you know, we were the last and yet here we were the first. And I can tell you standing here six years later after a lot of anger and pain and bitter, bitterness and resentment, uh, I spent a lot of time wasting that negative energy and, you know, learning how to really come from my truth to come from self-love, to come from a place where I see my own worth. I see the value in self-care. You know, I'm able to really truly live a beautiful life and now finally have a really strong co-parenting relationship with my ex-husband. And if you had asked me six years ago if I thought we would be the friends that we are today, I would have said, you are crazy. And yet here we are. So you know, anything and everything is possible 100% of the time, as long as you commit to shifting how you are. I've noticed that when you do that, other people shift around you. So that is my journey. And that's how I've gotten to where I am. And, you know, I, I also, um, you know, it wasn't just coaching, it was also energy healing and sound therapy and, you know, all these different modalities that I also put into my business now, because it's not just you know, we don't live in a, a 2D world per se. Um, there's a lot of energy exchange when you get married and especially we were together for over 20 years. So there was some energy work that got to be done and cleared and, and cut um, that played a really big role and tends to play a role with my clients as well. So that's my story. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. And there's so much to unpack there. But one of the first questions I want to ask you is what during this process did you discover about yourself or reclaim about yourself going through your divorce? I mean, honestly, the biggest thing was, was knowing, knowing what I liked. I mean, and, and I say that because there's a specific example. My parents came to take me out for my birthday for dinner the year after we separated. And I remember my mom asking me, where do you want to go to dinner? We want to take you to your favorite restaurant. And I had no idea what that was. I didn't know what my favorite restaurant was. And so for me, it was really about learning, <laughs> learning what I liked, right? Learning what felt good to me. What was it that I wanted to pursue? And, and a lot of that had to do with finding room in my life for self-care because without I, I didn't take care of myself. Um, part of reclaiming myself involved taking care of myself. You know, there's that, um, there's the, you know, the metaphor of like, you've got to put your oxygen mask on first before you put on your children's. And I was constantly putting their masks on. I mean, for 20 years, I was putting other people's masks on for them, being that people pleaser. And, and it really wasn't until I realized that I had to start putting myself first because what I was actually giving to everybody was not that great to begin with. And, you know, I, of course, did my best. I bragged about what a great multitasker I was, but really I was a crappy person because I wasn't giving 100%, 100% of the time. And so when I really started understanding, well, wow, when I take care of myself, when I give myself an hour to just read a book or go on a walk or do something, 
that, wow, I am either so much more productive when I get back or I'm a really, I'm a much nicer person to my kids when I give myself an hour to myself. And that to me was really important because I started noticing the difference between when I didn't take care of myself and I did. And it was a very different person. And the person I had been for 20 years was the person who never took care of herself. And I vowed never again. I, I wasn't going to do that ever again. And, um, you know, I think as a mom, it's it's hard. It's hard for a lot of us. Um, but I will tell you that my kids will will tell, you know, anybody they love they love speaking out on on some of my social platforms and they will say like, my God, my mom is so much happier. She's not angry all the time. She's not, you know, getting mad at us. And, you know, they say the same thing about their dad. You know, we're both just happier humans who are finally living an authentic, true life. I mean, I can say that about myself. I can't speak for him, but that is very much what was probably my biggest, biggest uh, achievement in reclaiming myself. Yes, self-care is really, really important. I think that's the hardest lesson, not just as like mothers, because I can't speak on the authority of being a mother, but I can as a child, like witnessing my mom not putting herself first and wishing she would, that like self-care is needed. So when like, I want to take it back to like when you started giving yourself permission to give an hour to yourself, like what was any of the mindset thoughts you had that you had to rewire and overcome to just, you know, feel okay and then yeah. become like, I'm a happier person when I do this. I should have been doing this all along. Yeah. Well, so I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to what I'm about to say, which is that I think that we have, I, we have it set in our mind that self-care has to look a certain way right? We think it has to be like, oh, I'm going to go take an hour and go to the spa and get a massage or get my nails done or go on a hike or go do this, go do that. And I always thought it had to involve money. I thought it had to involve a lot of time. I thought it had to involve, I mean, to be honest, it had to involve other people. Why would I go do something by myself, right? When you come off of a marriage where there's codependency and my ex-husband has narcissistic characteristics, you don't know what alone really feels like or means. And it and honestly is scary. And so what I realized is that self-care can be all of five minutes. It can be 10 minutes, right? And it, it was something that was really hard for me to understand because whenever I wanted to leave, you know, to get a break from, you know, the time my husband and my kids, I had to leave the house. I mean, I have two boys who, you know, they're now 16 and 13 and they do leave me alone. But when they were younger, around our separation and our divorce, 24-7, it was like, oh, like I couldn't go to the bathroom without one of them knocking on the door needing something from me. So I always thought I had to leave the house, which isn't always possible. And so really the biggest thing, the biggest first step was understanding that self-care gets to look different than what I had anticipated. And it could be something that involved five to 10 minutes. And I, and I have actually now built that into my calendar. It is a, it is a non-negotiable where I either, you know, some of my five minute little breaks between calls, which, you know, I encourage everyone to do, like you should build in 15 minute, you know, breaks throughout every hour. You should be taking a break. And I even do that with my client calls halfway through. I'm like, okay, we're going to go take a pee break and then we're going to come back because, you know, I know how much more productive and how 
rejuvenated we feel when we gift ourselves that. So sometimes I'll go outside and sit in the sun. Sometimes I'll, I always have a book next to my desk. And so I'll pull out a book and I'll read a chapter or a couple of pages, you know, just to immerse myself in something different not necessarily in work, or I'll go make myself a cup of tea and I'll bring it back into my office. Like just getting up, moving your body, taking your mind off of whatever it is that focuses, but something that feels nourishing. And I never understood that. And so now it is a, an, it's a non-negotiable, <laughs> um, you know, and now that I own my own business, it's also, you know, listen, it's a lot easier because I can carve out my own schedule. However, it is possible to do when you're still working a nine to five job because you get to use the restroom. You get to walk outside and get some fresh air. I mean, these are all things. It doesn't take a lot. So that was that was the first step to getting there. And I think that's an important note for like people who are like working at home. If you take yourself back and you're working at the physical nine to five, like what did you yeah. do when you just couldn't stare at the screen anymore? You got up to right. go to the bathroom, you right. walked around the building or something. So it doesn't mean like you're at home and you should right. just sit at the computer the whole time. Like you got to take those breaks and not feel guilty about that. Exactly. And I mean, I've worked from home now for four and a half years and I have to force myself. Like, that's why, you know, I even, I have an Apple watch, like it pings me when I need to stand. So I, I have a desk that stands up, you know, now there's, you know, of course everyone's on TikTok now and, you know, there's women who have, you know, those treadmills under their desk and I have a treadmill, but now I'm thinking, well, I kind of want one under my desk because my God, to like be able to walk while I'm I mean, I wouldn't walk while I'm doing an interview like we are, but like if I'm on a client call, because sometimes I'll even, I don't know if any of your listeners can relate to this, but like sometimes, you know, a lot of us doodle. I like to color. So color is my form of doodling, <laughs> um, you know, that actually gets you refocused. And I actually think that it's a brilliant idea. Like if you guys can get yourself to, you know, get, you know, treat yourself to that, it's, it's amazing. So uh, you know, it's just little things, little things that you get to make time for. Um, in law school, my family would gift me coloring books and colors because that's what I would do oh, too. Oh, I love it. Like I, so one of the rules growing up in my household was, and really the only rule that my mom had was like, if we're going to do sports, we have to do something artistic. So like whether at the time it was singing in band and then I negotiated in high school to have it be art because I wanted to take photography and I couldn't <laughs> do like I couldn't do all the things like be right. in choir and then you know I wanted to go to on the French trip and like have French class and like do all these things so yeah they agreed that I could take art class instead and it still fulfilled that need but I realized like in law school, it was just so like logical and mental heaviness that I was missing that piece of like just creativity yeah. flow. Yeah, you've got to. I mean, you don't need to be an artist. You don't need to be, you know, I, Lord knows I am the least creative person when it comes to like drawing or anything like that. But my creativity comes in the form of like me expressing myself through coloring or my creativity is sometimes like I'm obsessed with Canva. Like who else loves Canva? <laughs> um, you know, when I'm making, when I'm creating, you know, Instagram, you know, pictures or whatever I'm doing or one sheets and, you know, it's, it's just, it's important, you know, and I also know that I'm not 
I don't give my, I'm not a value to my clients if I don't take care of myself. You know, I was just telling you um, before we hit record, I was, I'm just coming back from a retreat in Sedona where I led an, an amazing group of women all about focusing forward. And there was one evening, like late afternoon, early evening, where I, I initially had, I was supposed to lead them on to do something. And I just, I was not in the headspace. Like I had been drained energy wise from earlier in the day. And I said to my clients, I'm like, you know what, you guys, like I need an hour to myself. I need to recharge. I need to lay down. I need to like get myself back here because I'm, you know, as a, as a divorce coach, it's, you know, there's, you take on and hear a lot of, you know, emotional stories and, and I don't get me wrong. I love what I do, but I also was an example to them in how it is that you get to ask for what it is that you need. Another form of self-care, you get to ask for what you need because I knew I was, I just, I needed to reconnect and I actually brought stuff to color while we were there. And I, grabbed a couple of colored pencils. I grabbed one of the, you know, postcards that I had brought that we color with. And I went into my room and I closed the door and I just sat down. I put some meditation music on and I just started coloring because I just needed, I just needed a break. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's a nap. Sometimes it's putting on music, like something that you're infusing. I guess the better word is, you know, infusing culture, whatever that looks like for you. Um, you know, just for you to just reconnect and check your, check your mind off because God knows mine is talking to me 24 seven. And so those times where I get to like really just disconnect my mind from my conscious state is a blessing. So, um, you know, again, that's just, that's a, a big piece of the self-care element as well. You said something about like asking for what you need as a form of self-care. And I know many women struggle with that and setting boundaries. So what would you say to the, the woman who's struggling to ask for what she needs and how she could take, you know, like the baby steps of doing that instead of like jumping headfirst in the deep end sink or swim situation? Yeah. And normally when you jump in the deep end, not even knowing how deep it is, right? Who knows? Maybe you'll hit your head. It's not so deep. Um, you know, so many times we jump into the deep end, uh, and a lot of times with boundaries, it comes in the form of, uh, explanations and, um, apologizing. And the first thing, you know, I, I teach boundaries because <laughs> I had none. I had zero. I had zero growing up. I had zero in my marriage. And it really was the key, the ticket to me figuring out <laughs> let me say it this way. We think that boundaries keep people away. We're afraid to enforce them because we think we're going to piss somebody off. We're going to hurt somebody's feelings. We're people pleasers. We don't want to, you know, we want to say yes to everything because God forbid. But when you do that, what you're saying is no, you're saying no to yourself. And so the way that I like to talk about boundaries is that Boundaries actually create closer relationships for you in, in, in your life because it tells people permissible ways that you are open to engaging with them. So it's that dirty dancing reference, right? Patrick Swayze's like, this is my dance space. This is your dance space. 
And that's very much what boundaries are. It doesn't mean that you can't still see each other and communicate and still be in sync with one another. But what it means is that I get to have this area to like do what I need to do and the same for you. And, you know, asking for space or, you know, just speaking your mind and saying what it is that you want can just be in the form of no. No is a boundary. And so many times we say we are uncomfortable saying no because and and so then we back it up with, oh, oh, I can't, you know, I got this and I've got this and I got this and da da da. Or you say, like, no, I'm so sorry, no, I just oh, I so want to say yes. And you just get into this like vomit of like apologies because you're afraid of how you're looking. What ends up happening is that you open yourself up for actually for negotiation when you start going down that path. And so the first step that I always teach around self-care and honoring yourself and what your needs are is saying, practicing saying no. And that's it. No is a complete sentence, just in case anybody wondered. No is a complete sentence. You know, and if you want to put some some manners around it, you can say, you know, oh goodness, no, that doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. That's it. That's all you have to say. And guess what? People aren't going to come at you. You know, I talk about this one example because it's just, it's perfect. I had a client who uh, she was in actually, um, you know, one of my programs and she was, um, she was so afraid to say no to her ex-husband who every time she had her son, he found some baseball game, got some tickets and wanted to take him on her weekend. And it started to really make her angry. And so she was like, how do I say no? And I said, well, you just say no. Like, that's what you do. You just say no. (laughs) And so we practiced and, you know, and I'll never forget, like she came to me, she texted me and she's like, oh my God, Wendy, it worked. And I was like, oh my God, tell me, tell me what happened. She's like, well, he did it again. And, you know, and I simply said, no, that doesn't work for me. And he said, okay. And she was like, I can't believe it. Because in her head, she had all these stories, right? Of like, well, he's going to, he's going to, you know, turn my son against me. And now my son's going to be mad at me and this and that. And I was like, but that's not what it's about, right? When people are asking uh, unreasonable things of you or have unrealistic expectations of you, all you're doing is setting yourself up for failure because you're putting yourself second. And it's the people-pleasing mentality that gets to be worked on first. And that's the way that you start putting yourself first. That's a form of self-care because 99% of the time you always say yes. And I bet that half of the time you really want to say no. I mean, you think about the last time you said yes to something and you went, oh, why did I just do that? I don't have time for this. And then all of a sudden you're scrambling and what ends up getting the low end of the stick? Something having to do with you so that you can do the thing that you promised for somebody else. Why? Why do you come second? Why are we so mean to ourselves? Right? Why is it that we don't hold ourselves to the same level that we would a friend? I mean, if a friend, you know, or, or even how we talk, right? Self-care can also be in the form of how you talk to yourself. So imagine the last time you said, such an idiot or so stupid. Would you tell your friend she's an idiot or that they're stupid? No, you would never 
But yet for you, it's like no big deal. It's like, oh, whatever. I'm saying it to myself, so it, it must be okay. It's not okay. It's not okay at all. Um, and, you know, I, I get fired up about this because it used to be me. I mean, this, I, I am no different than anyone going, oh my God, I do that all the time. Why do I do this? How do I fix this? Like, I learned in my 40s, guys, like, it's possible to learn at any point in time and any time you can change your relationship to people. I mean, if my ex-husband and I can be better friends now than we were when we were married and he cheated on me, like any, honestly, like, and I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg of our story. But if, if he and I can be friends, like I swear, I always, I say, I'm like, anything is possible for anybody because when you shift, so do they and they notice it and it's powerful. And it feels really good when you are standing in your power of your voice and your identity in every area of your life. It's it's powerful. No, it was a complete sentence. And I think one of the challenges I had to work through was like releasing this idea that I'm being difficult or that I'm selfish because that's gotten thrown a lot in my face, especially working with boundaries and family members. It's like, why do you have to be so difficult? Or like, you enjoy conflict. I'm, no, I don't. I do not enjoy conflict. I don't go seeking it out. I don't care if I have a law degree. I just don't. I just get to like, it gets to the certain level where it's like, I've kind of had enough. And then it's like, done. No, not being difficult, not doing these things. No. Or training them on to like, ask in advance. Yeah. Worked with my mom. She'll text me if she needs me to do something for her and be like just text me the day I'll let you know if it works if it doesn't but if you don't text me the day I'm not going to like remember it because again the voices in my head are a lot like I'm working on writing a book and I wake up sometimes still thinking about different scenes to write in the morning I'm just like come on mind calm down let's <laughs> let, 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 let me sleep <laughs> just let I me know sleep. It, it's it's hard to turn it off you know, especially those of us that, uh, you know, that's just our personality, especially those of us that are type A. It's so hard to silence our minds and it does take practice. I mean, that's what I say. It's like, it it wasn't like I woke up one day and boom, all of a sudden (laughs) I'm this boundary setting queen, right? That it didn't happen overnight. It happened with practice. It happened with support. It happened with accountability. And, you know, that's a lot of what I teach. I mean, I even have just a specific boundary setting course because it is a skill. It is a skill that gets to be learned. And, you know, you didn't just go ride a bike, you know, when you were five years old without the training wheels and you like went down the street the first time. How many times did you fall before you were able to ride it by yourself? Well, why is it any different learning another skill when you're a grown up? It's the same thing. And, you know, a lot of times we don't give ourselves permission to not get it right the first time. And every time you don't get it right, you have another opportunity to, you know, it's a lesson. It's a lesson on what not to do next time. Or you notice when this is starting to happen, like what you tried the first time didn't work. So you get to try something different. And it's so, you know, it just, I wish we could go back and have the mind of a five-year-old, right? Where we are fearless and we're looking at the world for the first time. I mean, 
that's really what I see divorce as, is really an opportunity for me to start looking at the world from a different lens now. And what, you know, as a 40-year-old woman, like, that's scary. But yet a five-year-old is like, oh my God, give me more. It's like they can't get enough. And so that's the mentality, right? That's the mindset shift that is so hard for a lot of people, but becomes so easy, right? Just like riding a bike once you figure it out. And it's a process. Absolutely. Like with boundaries, it's okay to have like one set of boundaries for this season of your life. And then you notice you're transitioning into another season and realize those boundaries aren't supporting you. It's like boundaries aren't set in stone rules or laws that have to be once established, followed, even when they're not working for you. Exactly. Yep. So, uh, yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, it's just, it's something that a lot of us aren't born with and we have to learn and it's okay. Like you're not alone. That's all I want to say. Keep going. Sorry. Interrupted no, you. You're, you're totally fine. So my next question is like, how did you start rebuilding your relationship with yourself and trusting your intuition, like going into your body and trusting and knowing when it's like a hell no, instead of like a hell yes to doing something? Yeah. You know, it's, it's the first step that I work with my clients on, which is uh, figuring out what your values are. You know, your values are your northern, it's your compass. It tells you what direction is northeast, west, south. And without your values, without knowing what your values are, it's hard to distinguish those moments where you want to say yes and the moments when you want to say no. And your values are things like honesty, connection, love, um, you know, uh, fun, relation, or um, trying to think, uh, generosity, like all the integrity, like all these different adjectives are our values. And what I have learned and what I love to do with all of my clients and, and even teach in classes that I do is understanding like what your ride or die values are. So these are the ones that like you feel a physical reaction when they are not being honored, right? So I was cheated on. Guess what my number one value is? It used to be honesty. It has now become integrity for me because integrity means a lot more than just honesty. Um, but no wonder I was like, felt stabbed in the body, the heart a million times over by him, by my ex-husband was because he completely stomped all over my number one value. And so once I understood like, oh, no wonder this hurts so bad, I then got to decide, well, how do I, how do I engage with someone who I don't trust? How do I do that? And it's, it takes time. It takes a lot of practice, but it always goes back to the value set that you have. So respect is also a big value of mine. And so, you know, how is it that I can feel like someone's being honest with me and respecting me at the same time? Well, he cheated. So I felt lied to and disrespected. So, oh my God, we've got value number two working out here. And what that taught me was that I was with a man who I didn't feel aligned with my values because if he valued honesty and respect, 
he would have not done what he did. He didn't care, right? Like that's a whole other podcast episode. But um, but what I'm saying is that it allows me to decide who it is that I want to be, who I want to have in my life. Now, he's the father of my kids. He's not going anywhere and we're co-parenting, you know, God knows, you know, till the days we die. Um, but it, it's how I show up in relation to him that has shifted as a result of me discovering my values. So, you know, I did a lot of values work uh, at my retreat this weekend with my clients, and it's really about how is it that I get to honor my values around uh, work and around my kids and about myself and with my ex or, you know, whatever the circumstance is. Anytime that you feel that tug of war going on inside of you, it's because there's a value that is that is like, mm, I'm not, hello, I'm here. Like, don't forget me. This is really important to me. And until you really identify what that is, and then you tie it to the feeling that you have inside of you, like that's when you're really able to realize when it's a yes and when it's a no. It always goes back to your values. I think we don't talk about our values enough. And, you know, I'm in a new relationship now and you better believe that the first thing I made sure to identify was that our values were aligned because if they weren't, I don't want to be with someone who doesn't honor the same values that I do. And so I think a lot of times that we just make excuses or we create stories around, you know, oh, you know, you, you, it's the six degrees of separation. Like you'll go six degrees to get back to how they ladder to your value instead of looking at it as like a direct line, which is what's most important. And to tie back to boundaries, your, your values are where your boundaries come from. So it's a combination of the two that's really powerful and that really are, you know, they're, they lean on one another in terms of how it is that you go about living and being. How did you discover that you and your partner in your new relationship have the same values? Like, was that a direct conversation or were you just witnessing and watching? What did that look like? Well, so I think one of the hardest lessons I learned in my marriage was, um, you know, actions speak louder than words, right? Um, because his actions never matched his words. And so it's a combination of both, right? So it's about having conversation, something I was also really bad at. I didn't know how to talk. I had four emotions in my vocabulary. Um, so it really gets down to curiosity uh, and engaging in conversation um, because you want to make sure that their actions and their words match up together. Curiosity is something that as a society, I think we get afraid to ask people more questions and it's something that like I preach from the mountaintops anytime I can because there is so much misattunement in relationships where you hear something one way and somebody hears it some totally different, right? So when you say the sky is blue, you have an image of maybe this really rich, rich blue sky, whereas somebody else may have just like a baby blue image. That's not the same color. That's not the same blue. But that's what each of you see. And you're like, yeah, it's this like royal blue. And you're like, no, it's baby blue. No, it's royal blue. No, it's baby blue. You're both right. <laughs> it's that you're both coming to the table with different experiences that are shaping your, you know, your reality. 
And so we make assumptions that people see and hear things the same way that we do. <laughs> and they don't. And so curiosity is really the, the, the way by which you figure out, like, is this person for real? Do they align with my values? Are they somebody that I can be with? Because, you know, you just, you can't rely on one or the other. They have to, they have to line up. And for a lot of women who go through divorce, like, We've all lived a life of assumption because we're on autopilot half the time. And that's when the mistakes and the disconnection starts happening. So yeah, curiosity. It's all about curiosity. I love the quote. It's like, curiosity killed the cat, but they cut it off there. And the rest of the quote is that satisfaction brought it back. So it's like you're being curious. Sure, it kills the cat, but you're satisfied because you're learning about all of these things. And then you just come back to life. Yeah. Yep. It's 100% true. So many of us are so afraid. What are they going to think? Am I being too nosy? Is it too early? Like, you know, I've got clients that are dating right now and they're like, is it too, isn't it? it too early to ask those questions? I'm like, if it's on your mind, it's not too early. Like, you know, like, you know, that's what I say. And it's like, well, if, you know, we just, we, we are such a people pleasing society. It drives me crazy. Like I used to be that and I used to be like, oh, what are people going to say? What are they going to think? What is this person going to think? Well, I don't care. Like I care about me having the information that I need in order for me to live my best life. No one's living in this body of mine. Like it's just me and it's up to me to fulfill myself. I used to look outside for somebody else to fill my cup and I don't do that anymore because where did it get me? You know, like, sure, I have two amazing boys who I say, you know, all that was good in my marriage and all the love that he and I had for one another, they're in my boys. And that is the best representation I could ever hope to have of, of that part of my life. And at the same time, like, it's up to me to make my life fulfilled. It's up to me to make my life beautiful and joyous and peaceful. And it's not up to anybody else anymore. And you get to put yourself on the same pedestal that you put other people. And sometimes in order to get up there or for them to even come meet you up on that pedestal, they've got to answer some questions that they may not like. But those that are really meant to be in your life, that care about you, that love you, that you know want to invest themselves with you, um, they're, you know, you'll be worth it. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather have somebody who likes the fact that I ask a lot of questions. I mean, not to the point where I'm annoying, but like, you know, I think through stuff and then I'm like, oh, wait, okay, now oh, this is leading me down. It's like, you know, you see like the little synapses firing, right? It's like, I'm just verbalizing it. Um, and it's made a huge difference in my life. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important to like, if it like, the, is it too early? I'm like, just throw the dating rules just out the window, please. Just just chuck them out. And like, if it's on your mind, like you ask it. I know that's, I've always been that way, but that was honed in. So right when 2020 was all happening and with the pandemic, I was on the East Coast and then I came back to Iowa and I was staying at my grandparents and I literally took advantage of that time. And I would ask the most random questions <laughs> all the time, but it was, but that was like, I was there. I want to have these questions. I was being curious and my grandma would always give me a look. I'm like, yeah, I know it's a weird question, but I know it came out of left field, but 
but I learned a lot and that deepened our relationship with each other. But it was just very interesting how I, I gave myself permission just to ask and then acted upon it instead of, you know, taking up that mental space of like, do I ask this question or do I say this or like what that mental back and forth exhaustion. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people, I mean, listen, I get it. We all have past wounds and fears and everything. And, you know, what I always say is that, you know, fear isn't real, right? It's false evidence appearing real. That's what it stands for. And, you know, I would rather have facts than live a life on assumption, which is what I did for two decades in my marriage. Um, You know, I, and I'll never do it again. You know, one of the things that, you know, my Jeff, I mean, I call him my husband because we're committed and wear rings, but, you know, he, from day one, like we have been all about communication. We have both made a commitment to also talk about anything and everything that comes up and it it doesn't matter how hard it's going to be. Like we love each other enough to not want to put the other person through what either one of us had been through before. Right. So we are not afraid to have the hard conversations. Are they fun? No, <laughs> not at all. But at least I know that we're both coming to the table, right? My number one value, integrity, with integrity and with respect. You know, I used to think that the louder I spoke, the more I would be heard. <laughs> it is the opposite, everybody listening, which I'm sure everybody, you know, is probably going, oh, yeah, I, I can see that. Um but that's the house I grew up in. And I didn't know any different until I got divorced and started learning about this stuff and started to realize the power of my words. And this goes to how you talk to yourself as well, but your words are powerful. And I say that to my kids a lot, like your words are really powerful. And we don't think about that enough when we're talking to ourselves, when we're talking to our kids, our family, our friends, our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, like we don't think about it. And it's something that there's, I just, I want so badly for there to be a shift in how it is that people approach just life in general. I mean, there it's, you know, we're living in a world that is, I was talking about this in Sedona this weekend, like we live in a world with so much fear that it's so incredibly important that those of us who can see through it help other people, right? I call it shining the light. Like we have to shine the light. And if we're running around afraid of what other people are going to think of us, well, in every single situation, you're dimming your light. You dim your light when you're not being honest with yourself. And I don't know about you, you know, or anybody listening, but like I did that for two decades and I am not dimming my light ever, ever again, because those that are attracted to it will come. And those think, who think otherwise, like, I don't want them in my world anyway, because they're light dimmers <laughs> and I want them to go away anyway. So, you know, you have to look at it that way. It's like you, I always say like when I went on job interviews, like I was, I used to be so nervous. And then I finally realized, I was like, wait a second, I have to like them. I'm giving them 40 hours a week. Plus like I better like them because I'm spending the most time with these people. So they have to dazzle me you know, I'm amazing and they have to dazzle me if they want me to say yes to them. And, you know, it was that mindset shift that changed everything, right? When you finally get to that point. Um, And it just, like you said, it takes practice, it takes learning and it takes confidence. 
Um, and that's something that a lot of us struggle with. Um, and confidence isn't the same as self-esteem or self-worth. They're all linked, but they're all very different and they play into one another. Um, so yeah, that's, I feel like I wandered off of. No, you're perfect. <laughs> I like... Explain more about your confidence, self-esteem and self-worth comment that you just said. Yeah. So, you know, your self-care is really the, uh, what do you want to call it? Like the conveyor belt, right? To the land of self-esteem, the land of self-worth and the land of confidence. Um, you know, your self-esteem is really about how it is that you see yourself, right? What you see when you look in the mirror and your worth is really around your contributions. And when you see your self-esteem and your self-worth, both of those together lead to you being confident, having confidence in who it is that you are. You know, part of why we have such crappy self-esteem is that we focus on our faults, right? Our flaws. Like, oh my God, I hate, you know, I've gained the COVID-20 still, I can't get it off. Or, oh my God, I have a pimple on my face or, uh, you know, I, I don't know, something physical, right? And we look, all we see when we look in the mirror are our flaws. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why is it that instead of focusing on, you know, the fact that you have a pimple on your face, like, wow, you have beautiful eyes. Like, oh my God, your hair looks gorgeous today. Like, I've got great hair. Like, I have beautiful eyes. And look at my eyelashes today. Like, I'm rocking my eyelashes. No, I look in the mirror and I'm like, crap, I just got a pimple. Like, great. Forget about anything else that's beautiful about me, right? And we focus on the flaws. And, you know, one of the things I teach is how it is that we get to love our flaws because they make us who it is that we are. Like, we're human. Humans are not perfect. We are not, you know, and no offense, like, just because you see models and celebrities, like, it's not, I call it a, like a Facebook facade. It is like a Hollywood facade, you guys. Like, I mean, look at all the stuff coming out now. I know this is relevant for today, but like all the stuff about Adam Levine, like him and, and his Bahati, I forget, I don't know how to pronounce his wife's name, but like, she's stunning. Like who would cheat on that? Right? Like who would do that? And yet it's like, but Adam Levine's a human being. He's tempted just like the rest of us are, right? And I'm not excusing it. I'm just demonstrating that we are human beings and we make mistakes. And we are not, we don't look the look all the time and we're not perfect. But yet that's all we focus on, right? Like now any all anybody's going to remember is that Adam Levine is coming out looking like a cheater. Not that he's an incredible musician, <laughs> you know, was on The Voice and now he's the cheater. And it's, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, this is what we do to ourselves. And so when we're not putting ourselves on a pedestal and that's our self-esteem, well, of course you don't have worth in yourself because your worth is rooted in your, in your flaws. Your worth is rooted in the good things, <clears throat> the, you know, your beautiful hair, your beautiful eyes, the fact that Adam Levine's a great musician, like your worth is in your talent. And yet when you focus on your flaws, you have no self-esteem, you have no self-worth, and therefore you have no confidence. And so it's, again, it's all mindset. It's all a mindset shift. Yeah, I think it's like giving yourself grace. I know a lot of times, like, because integrity is an important value of my own. And so it's mm -hmm. like if I set, we'll just say like this boundary, this rule, yes, I expect myself to reach it, but I also allow my humanness to come in. 
hundred percent. Because otherwise it's racing after perfection and perfection doesn't exist. And then it's just like beating myself up all over again for no reason. Yeah. I say we're perfectly imperfect. You know, I, I don't ever want to be perfect. I was a perfectionist for my whole life and I just, I, it was exhausting because it's, it's a level that none of us can ever achieve. It's just not possible. And so the sooner that we recognize that we're all human beings, that means that we're not perfect. It means that we're going to mess up, but that doesn't define you unless you let it. I want to ask one more question that's been like nagging at me before we get into the final questions. So how, like, what was the belief that you had to heal and rewire in creating the co-parenting relationship with your ex and being friends going from like he's cheating and disrespecting you not being honest to being able to be a friend oh um it was a shift in me um and it was that and i get emotional about this because i care about him a lot Um, because he's the father of my kids and, you know, I, the belief was that he, he did the best with the tools that he was given. And while that is not anywhere near what I deserve, it's not his fault. Um, he made a bad choice and he has to live with that for the rest of his life. I don't. He has to live with that. Um, And I know that he does his best and it's okay that it's not what I need. Um, You know, the way that I say it is that I would rather that he be, I would rather he give 100% of what to me is about 50% of what I hope to have than for him to give anything less. And I know that he, I know that he's flawed and he's got things that he, he gets to still work on from his life, from his past, from his childhood. And, um, you know, I just, I don't look at him with hate anymore. I don't look at him with, you know, um, like wanting to just rip his eyeballs out (laughs) for what he did, Um, you know, because I just don't, I just don't blame him anymore. You know, we, marriage takes two people. And until you take responsibility for 100% of your 50, then you can't look at the other person any other way. And it was really in that point where I stopped thinking that his half was my responsibility right? I kept saying to myself, like, why doesn't he want me? Why does, why isn't he picking me? What's wrong with me? And it had nothing to do with that. It had nothing, his choice had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with what was missing for him. And instead of finding it for himself, he went somewhere else to get it. And that is a choice. We all have that choice. He made one that impacted the rest of a lot of people's lives. And I also know that like, I would not want to be married to him anymore. Like I am so not like when we see each other now at the kids, uh, you know, sporting events or back to school nights and all of that. And, 
even when I see him now, like there's things that like, he's still the same person and they annoy the crap out of me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad I don't have to do this and I don't have to live with this anymore. Or like his mannerisms piss me off now. Like they never pissed me off before, but it's like, as you shift, right? Like I also noticed how when I stopped coming at him with negative energy, like I'm a big believer, obviously, as an energy healer, like we bring energy to the table. Like we're all made up of, you know, cells and molecules and, um, you know, we, other people feel that. Like you guys know when you walk into a room, you walk into somebody's office and you can just feel like if they're in a bad mood, you're like, oh, I gotta, ooh, I just felt that, right? And it's the same thing. Like, so imagine if you are exuding hate and pain and like resentment towards someone, they're going to be on edge coming up to you versus if you just are, you know, like, oh yeah, there they are. Right. Your energy is neutral. So it's about getting yourself back to like that neutral place and understanding that their, their actions, their decisions, their choices have nothing to do with you. Nothing. And that's when I just, you know, I just stopped hating him and, um, I, you know, and I, and I forgave him. Like I got to the point where I told him, I forgive you because I know you just, you did what you thought was best at the time with the tools that you had. And, um, you know, I forgive you and that, you know, not everybody gets to that point. It took me probably four years to get there. Um, but you know, and that's not to say we get along every day. Like we just had a little disagreement yesterday about something about one of our sons, um, where it was like a miscommunication through our son. Um, you know, but like we always just come back to neutral, and it's not like you know the old versions of ourselves are coming out again because I'm not that person anymore. So it, he shows up differently. Hmm. There's so much more I wanted to talk about on this episode. And we didn't even get to it. But that's fine. Like, I can come back. And then, like, <laughs> yeah. And then talking more about like healing from your relationship with your ex, getting to that point, just diving in more. Yeah. But I think it's really important. Like I tell people about the forgiveness aspect, like you don't necessarily have to forgive that person right in the moment. Like you could desire to want to forgive them and you could say like, I'm willing to forgive. Literally, that's all you have to say is you're willing to forgive because if you say, like, I forgive you and you don't feel it in your body energetically, like, it's just, it's just off and it's kind of, you're kind of betraying yourself and your own emotions and acknowledging that, like, you want to forgive, but you're just not there yet. Well, and it starts with yourself. Like, it took me a really long time to understand self-forgiveness, to know what that was going to look like, if anything, if at all. I mean, if you would ask me six years ago if I was ever going to forgive this man, I would have said, you are crazy. Never will I forgive him. And I did. <laughs> and it, it was because I forgave myself. And it took me a long time. It actually took me multiple courses of like spiritual psychology, energy healing to get to that place. Like the energy piece is very much tied to this because I know he and I have been tied in multiple past lives together. When you enter into a committed relationship as deep as the one that we had, I, he was my soulmate for sure. Like I felt that in my bones. Um, 
And so we had exchanged a lot of energy with one another and I had to go, I, I thank God found the right people to help me to really disconnect, to get my fragments back, to send his back to him. Um, you know, sound has a lot of, um, therapeutic elements to it. Sound heals. I mean, think about it. If you're like in a bad mood, you like pull on music because either it calms you down or it like speaks to you and it makes you feel better. Like sound is really powerful. And so, you know, I also don't want to discount that piece, which I know we didn't really get to as much, but the energy piece is really important for, it was really important for my healing to also get me to the place where I don't physically feel anything like there used to be a time where he, he would drop my kids off and I could feel his negative, like I could just feel him on my body. And it was like, I wanted to crawl out of my skin. And anytime I was around him, there was just like this physical reaction and I hated it. And I was like, I tried all these different things. And it really wasn't until I experienced theta healing and I did sound therapy that my world totally shifted and changed. And so it's not just a one-stop healing mechanism, right? It's holistic. It's mind, body, spirit, like mind, body, soul. Like all three areas require healing. You can't just do one and expect the other three to follow suit. You have to actually work them all simultaneously. And ultimately, you know, for me, when I talk about like it, when I talk about shifting your mindset, the root of that is faith. Faith in the universe, God, source, whatever it is that you call it, having faith, grace, and compassion are crucial, crucial to the entire healing process. And without that, you're going to stay stuck. You're just going to stay where you are. And, you know, that's, it's no fun. It's not a healthy place to be. Um, but you know, again, that's one of the reasons why I do this work is because I bring all three, right? It's kind of like the Trinity, right? I bring this Trinity to the table for my clients where we work on mind, body, soul through faith. Well, we can just mic drop it right there. <laughs> <laughs> and drop. <laughs> Done. Um, Wendy, I just have one more question, but thank you so much for coming on. Like you shared so much and I just really appreciate you sharing your story and opening up and think we'll have you on again to talk about the energetical side and how you brought that in as well. Cause I know that's a big piece and that's been a big piece in my own healing journey. Um, but my final question is what does living a naked life mean to you? Oh, a living a naked life means being willing to be vulnerable and trust. Um, you know, again, like faith is really the foundation for my whole uh, recovery healing process. Uh, you know, living naked is trusting in source and trusting that I'm being led in my highest and best way possible, even when it doesn't look so shiny and bright. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. You're so it's welcome. just a joy. Oh, thank you so much. I, I so appreciate you. I loved our conversation. I know we could talk for another hour, so I'd love to come back too because the energy piece is really important as well. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Naked Life Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast and share with all your friends.